0: Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. I want to start off by just saying one thing real quick. Back back here we had a trumpet player who is a senior in high school, and we had a sophomore that's playing the keys. And I just wanna I just want to give a shout out to to students using their God-given ability to help us worship King Jesus. And in regards to student ministry, I wanna give you Um, all of you as parents, I want to heavily encourage you to get your kids signed up, whether sixth grade to 12th grade, for our winter retreat. It's at Apex Baptist Church. It's called Metamorphosis. In 1997, a group of us started that. I was a part of that. And it's been going on for a long time. I can look at the Lees back here, and I can think of my Lee who is getting ready to get married in May, who graduated college, and I sat behind her in Apex Baptist Church and watched God save her at this weekend. And I'm here to say that she's going on staff in ministry with her future husband with Summit College to help people to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus. And my wife was in a well group meeting this week, and a lady told her that I gave my life to Jesus at metamorphosis. It changed my life. And so, yes, this is a trailer, this is a heavy encouragement that for sixth grade to twelfth grade, for you to get your kids, your students, signed up for this weekend. In 1997, I met this guy named Jason Gaston. I was able to disciple him, and he is on staff at a church in Asheville, North Carolina, Carolina, and he will be the speaker this weekend. Jason and I spent six years together of trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, and he's been in ministry, and we're partners, and he's one of my best friends in the entire world, and he's going to be there this weekend talking about our identity in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 and your kids need to be there, period. Did you get that? Please don't miss it. It's a 24-hour power-packed weekend. We're going to be sleeping in, in host homes and doing small groups, and it is going to be phenomenal. And then we'll continue that during the summer where we've got our camp picked out at Crossroads Summer Camp, where Clayton King and his team will be preaching, and you don't want to miss that either. So that's a shout out for you this morning. So February the 25th and the 26th starts at like 5 p.m. on Friday and it ends at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. And so really would love for you to be a part of that, okay? I wanna go ahead and pray. We're doing a standalone message today and I've asked God to uh, work in our hearts as we talk about the sanctity of human life. Um, And so I'm asking the Lord And have asked him all week to open up our hearts uh, regarding this issue. And um, so let me pray for us. Lord, I want to ask you in Jesus' name to help us this morning look at the scripture and what it teaches about life. So Lord, I pray that you will use this message for your glory. I pray that you will help us to understand that each life is precious to you and thereby should be precious to us, even the ones that are the most vulnerable, the ones in the womb. So as we look at the scripture, not at politics, but we look at scripture, Lord, give us uh, a picture of your heart about what you say about these that are most vulnerable, the ones that are in the womb, and help us to understand how we can protect them. So I love you, I thank you, use this message for your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Big idea for us today, the big idea, there's one point that I want you to remember, here's what it is. Life begins at conception and must be protected. Life begins at conception and must be protected, all life, all life must be protected specifically regarding the unborn in 19 or excuse me in 1973 49 years ago a decision was made to make the, uh, abortion on demand legal it's been 49 years of this decision and i need to help us understand that we may land in different places on this issue and i also want to make you aware that the great commandment says to us that we are to love God and love each other even in our disagreements. Um, And so what we wanna talk about is the importance of life and looking at scripture and what that says. In regards to abortion, there are a lies that the church and society and individuals are being told. There are three great lies that Satan tells us as a society regarding the issue of life and uh, considering the the preborn the 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 babies in the womb the preborn is not truly a human but it's a lie that satan teaches we will unpack that in the scriptures in psalm 139 in just a minute there's another lie that this child is a burden and not a blessing that this child would be a burden and not a blessing. And number three, that abortion is beneficial for the mother. Statistics say very, very different things about the emotional well-being. And there's another good lie. There's two lies that, the, that Satan tells the church that abortion is entrenched in the law of the land and that nothing you can do will change it. And there's also another lie that simply changing the laws to make abortion illegal will completely solve the problem. It's a much deeper issue than just changing laws. There's a lot to consider, hearts, changing, allowing God to change hearts. And then there's a great lie that Satan tells the, the guilty individuals. And so I really want you to hear this, um, The lie is, is that your sin in this matter is so great that nothing can make it right. That there is no forgiveness possible. And I want you to know that that is not in the scripture. One in four women have experienced this according to statistics. And I want to know that this is in no way meant to shame, because when I see an empty grave and I hear that God is alive and I hear that He has resurrected people, that He forgives people, that the cross of Christ is a demonstration that there is no sin that is greater than His forgiveness and His amazing grace. And I need you to hear that. This message is never meant to shame or make you feel guilty. This is part, and it's actually the opposite of that. It's actually I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that it would be used to set you free from that shame if that's part of your story. The cross of Jesus is a demonstration that I can be forgiven of my sins and we can all be forgiven of our sins and there is no sin that is greater than God's grace. Let me say it this way, there is no sin That is greater than God's amazing grace. I pray that we would would hold on to that. And so here's what I'm going to do really to just talk through this issue is I want us to have a foundation. And then I want us to go into the text and talk about David's response to the omniscience and the omnipresence of God that's in Psalm 139. So you're sitting here going, Matt, you're preaching two messages up there. Okay, maybe I am. I'm using two different texts. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. We're going to read this. Ryan did a great job in our identity series of unpacking this. I want this to be the foundation, and then I want us to jump over to um, Psalm 139, and it'll all tie together, I feel, uh, that the Spirit will, will bring that all together for us. And so here is, our, here is our foundational identity. Here is what the Scripture teaches in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In 27, it says three times, he created. He created. He created. created." And so, Here's what I want us to do without just I want us to understand that that God that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. God gave us a god consciousness. He did not give that to someone such as Lucy, my dog. Can you see her on the screen? No. Lucy's Now, let me just make sure you're aware of something right now. If you would have told me seven years ago that I would have a dog, I would say, you're a lying. (laughs) If you told me I was going to have a dog with a Christmas sweater on, I would say, that's impossible. (laughs) However, I do, and she does. But let me just tell you a little things. Let me me tell you something about Lucy, okay? She is beautiful. She is cute. She barks incessantly, and it drives me crazy. But Lucy is not looking at, uh, wondering if, um, what she's going to do about eternity. That's not something she's concerned about. She's not wanting, wanting to know about how to do her taxes, She's not wanting to know how do I talk to God or when do I read the word. She's not asking any of those questions. She really does not have a desire to make disciples in any way, shape, and form because Lucy has been created different than you and I. And so we have been created to love God, to serve God, to have a relationship with God. We have what's called a God consciousness that no other creation has. That has been given to you and I, not to our fur babies, as they are called. We love them, we care for them. I can't tell you how much Lucy loves my wife. It's kind of sickening. But I'm just telling you, what we're seeing here is a big difference in the way that we were created, and I hope that gives you a picture of the way that we are created. We have an idea, we have an understanding. God has given us in our souls a God consciousness, what is right and what is wrong. We can have a relationship with him. We can talk with him. We have been created different than anything else that God has created. And so as a summary of that text, Let's just take a look at some quick summaries so that we have a foundation before we go to Psalm 139 and take a look at what that says. Some quick summaries. We are made in the image of God. It says in this, then God said, let us make man. That's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let us make man in our own image. This is not said about any other objects. That's the first summary. The second summary is that God has given us dominion over everything else. It says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, including and especially Lucy. We're we're, we're created different. God is the foundation of our lives. He is the one that defines who we are So therefore, he is the one who defines our identity or made in the image of God. That's what we talked about in the fall. And here's what it says. So God created man. There's one created in his own image, in the image of God he created, number two. And then male and female, he created them. Francis Schaeffer said this as a quote to this verse. It is as though God put an exclamation point here to indicate there is something special about the creation of man. And so that's our foundation, how we have been created in the image of God that he created us. And that's who we are, and that's how he's been given us dominion, and that's our foundation for life. Now, it goes a little bit further when we jump in to the way David was living his life and how David came in to worship in Psalm 139. When we look at Psalm 139... We oftentimes see this Psalm quoted about the issue of the unborn and how they are fearfully and wonderfully made. But I think it's important before we get to Psalm 139, 13, that we really unpack 1 through 12 because it's unbelievable to the reason why David penned the words 13 through 17 and the 1 through 12 is going to help us to understand that. Are you with me? All right, so here's what it says, is that in uh, Psalm 139, verses one through six, I want you to see an attribute of God that we call the omniscience of God, or that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. That's an attribute of who he is. He is all-knowing. And here's what David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Omniscience, you know everything. Verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. You know it all together. Verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand behind me, behind me, upon me. Verse 6. Here's the summary of the first section. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain it. God, your ways are higher than my ways. You know everything. You are omniscient. It's a character trait of the God that we serve. And David, this is a worship psalm, and the way he's beginning to worship is recognizing that God knows everything, that there is a mystery to us. We are finite beings, and he is infinite, and he knows everything, everything about us. And then it causes him to go into that, the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere. Now, some commentators suggest that David was actually trying to run away from the Lord, and he couldn't. But the most commonly held view is that this is a psalm of worship, first for his omniscience and second for his omnipresence. So what does he say in verse 7? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. So David's response is, God, you are everywhere. There's nowhere that you are not. You are ever-present. You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. And he starts off with this in this worship psalm in 1 through 12 to declare those things. Your knowledge is all-knowing. Your presence is everywhere. And then it leads him through the power of the Spirit. Because remember, the Bible is written by individuals under the inspiration of, of the power of the Holy Spirit. And David frames these words for our benefit so that we can understand the importance of life in the womb. Verse 13, he breaks down and says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very, very well. Now, I have been praying about how can we talk about the the knitting together in the womb the things that god has done and there's there's possibly a, 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 an opportunity where i could just list you some statistics and i was praying about how to make this personal and the only way that i can do that is make it personal to myself and i pray that my motivation here would be seen that i just want us i, I think it'll be obvious and so I'm. I'm actually going to use. Um, I'm going to use my daughter, for the next couple of minutes, to help us understand this a little bit better. Um, she turns 18 next Saturday, and um, time flies. <laughs> and uh, we spent a lot of time this weekend together, and we went to um, Gardner-Webb where she interviewed for a scholarship and she turns 18 on Sunday. Um, (laughs) And we're in the car and she's getting ready for her interview and she's like nervous and she's like, oh my gosh, dad, oh my gosh. And her heart is beating like crazy and her heart didn't start beating at 17 years old. Her heart started beating at 18 days. That's when her heart started to beat, when she was 18 days old. And this weekend, Molly um, cut her finger. Her finger was bleeding. And she needed a Band-Aid. And I I recognized that the bleeding on her hand was present just Friday night. But at 21 days years old... um, her body had its own blood type and its own circulatory system. So at 17 years old, her finger was bleeding, but at 21 days, when she was 21 days old in the womb, her circulatory system was formed and she had her own blood type. And it going to college and working hard in school and, you work hard to get these grades, and you get nominated for a scholarship, and now you're going in for this interview, and I'm just thanking God for the opportunity that she has, and I realized that it didn't just turn on at 16 years old or 14 years old when she got to high school or went to school, but that at 42 days, 42 days old, that the brain waves were recorded and reflexes were present. So the brainwaves weren't just created in the classroom. The brainwaves were created at 42 days old. And Molly, oh my goodness, she started sucking her thumb at two. (laughs) And if I recall correctly, she stopped at around five, I think. but she probably did that when she was seven weeks old because she could, and many do. She could suck her thumb in the womb at seven weeks. I'm looking at her right now when she's breathing. You're breathing, right, Molly? She has a respiratory system. Her lungs are developed. She can walk the CNS, the central nervous system, has been created, and that's evident right now. But at eight weeks old, it was evident then. Molly has this uh, thing that she does with, she has a contest in the house that we do with our tongues. Let me just make sure. It's like, can you do this? It's called taco tongue, okay, or like folding your tongue up like that. So all of you are trying to do that through your masks. I can see that. You're like, can I do that? And we have two people in the family that can't do that, and we have the rest of us that are able to do that. And when Molly, when we're driving in the car, I I grab her fist and I turn it over. Don't judge me. And I crack her knuckles. I grab her fist. And I take her fist. I make a fist and I crack her knuckles. And we're driving down the road. And she always takes her hand. And she reaches over and pinches my nose. And all of that. Her tongue and her fist. And her fingers. Were formed. At nine weeks. They're Formed at nine weeks. Molly just came home recently and had a pedicure and a manicure and was, Dad, look at my nails. Aren't they beautiful? And I'm like, yes, they're beautiful. And those fingernails began when she was 11 weeks old. And Molly goes on vacation with Dana and I, and it does not matter where we go We have been to Aruba and we have been to the beach and we have been locally and it never fails that Molly has an affinity for chicken tenders. And her taste buds for chicken tenders was created at 15 weeks old. And on February the 6th, 2006, We like to be surprised. We've had four kids, and we like to be surprised. And on February the 6th, 2004, I saw her for the first time. And I got, we didn't know what we were having, so it was either going to be Molly or Luke. And I got to announce to everybody on February the 6th, 2004, at Wake, Med, and Carrie, that it's a girl, and it's Molly. Molly. Catherine Rice. However, that decision was decided at 16 weeks. But for me, I found out on February the 6th in 2004. And if Molly has a dream, she loves to tell you in great detail. But those dreams began at 17 weeks where she was able to she was able to do that. And this past week, we went to an early graduation party with some friends, and we were there, and my daughter, along with the choral class, got up, and she sang, God Bless the Broken Road by Rascal Flatts with her senior choir. And I just sit there, and I got my son on one side going, I hear Molly's voice. I hear my son there say, I hear Molly's voice. And she joined choir Early on, middle school, high school church, but those vocal chords were created at 18 weeks, not in the ninth grade, in choral class. And this summer, Molly had a prom with her friend, and she talked me into getting a balayage. Did I say that right? <laughs> yes. I took my daughter downtown Raleigh did her hair it was flowing and yeah. she. So her hair is all wavy and beautiful and colorful. And I just look and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're gorgeous. But the hair on her head was formed at 20 weeks. And at 24 weeks, more than half of births can survive. And so you're up here and you're going, Matt, you're you're making this a little bit more emotional right now. And I, I please understand in my heart that you are um, using a person to talk about these points, and that's my point. You understand what I'm saying? You're using a person to talk about these, because I don't want them just to be statistics to us. I want them to see how real this issue is. So, she was born on February the 6th in 2004, as I said, but she was a person long before February the 6th, 2004. Verse 15. Here we go. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Uh, um. Uh, And then it comes down to verse 16, and 16 says that I have a plan for you. I have days for you, even before you came into substance. Listen, listen. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, omniscience of God. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God is declaring to those that he intricately weaves and puts together in the womb, that I've got a plan for you. And he says, I've got a plan for you, church, that you would do all that you can to understand that life begins at conception and that all life must be protected. So what do we do as a church to apply this message? Or what can we do as a church to apply this? What, what are some of the things that we can do? I I would say maybe we consider adoption. I think we as a church have some families in here that have led that way boldly, loudly, and proudly to understand that maybe this, you're not ready to parent your child in an unexpected pregnancy. But we partnered with Christian Adoption Services and we have several families in our church. I'm looking at many of them, the Kirby's, the Hyatt's, the Wilkerson's, the Wong's, the LeBrant's have all been a part of adopting through the, the, the um, Christian adoption services. That is a part of our ministry. And there is something that I would encourage you to consider. And whether it's, hey, I'm going to adopt or whether I'm going to help those to adopt. Maybe you can, we can do that. Maybe there's the support of local pregnancy life care centers. There's serving there, there's meeting some of the moms who are choosing life and to help them, maybe providing a meal or doing a shower. There was a life group, the Kiefer Life Group, for years partnered with the Pregnancy Life Care Center, I think it's Hope, um, oh gosh, I just drew a blank. Say it again. Hand of Hope, Hand of Hope um, is a ministry that we've partnered with in the past and you reach out to them and you, take, you adopt a birth mom and you help them, throw them a baby shower or do meals for them and love them in a way that God loves them. Demonstrate that to them. And then there's also number three, and you can reach out to the Bowmans for this, is consider fostering. We've been certified as foster parents. We've had the Bowmans in the church who can help seek them out, talk about this. Every human life is precious What are we going to do as a church to understand that life begins at conception and they must be protected? And so my question is, is what are we going to do? Unborn life is precious. Children with special needs are precious. When there's a diagnosis of Down syndrome, 67% of them are aborted. But if they are bullied on social media, the world goes crazy. We love them. Children with special needs are precious. Aging parents are precious. Even when they don't remember things. So we defend, we honor, and we give thanks because every human life is to be protected, is to be prized, and is to be held precious. Life begins at conception And must be protected. The question is. is What what shall we do? What shall we do? To uphold that. And to live that out. Listen. May God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Move us to a place. Where we hold life dearly. All life. All, All of the vulnerable. May we look at those in the womb. And may we stand up and do all that we can to cherish them, to love them, to protect them, and hold them precious, and do so because God instructs us to do so. I love you guys. Pray you have an incredible day, and I pray that the spirit of the living God would encourage you, incite you, and draw out application in your own life of how we might as a church honor and sanctify and stand up for the sanctity of human life. You are a joy to my soul, and I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to teach your word. I thank you for the opportunity to stand up and to use um, uh, this is a, a difficult topic in some regards. We simply don't want to be divisive, but, Lord, we want to stand up for what you want us to stand up for. So Lord, let us stand up for the vulnerable in always possible. And Lord, let us stand up and protect those lives that are in the womb and do all that we can to help them and to help those parents, the birth parents. We love you, God. Trust your spirit to move in a way that only you can move. In Jesus' name, amen.